Is it 17? Oh, I don't know what episode it is. Vic! It's it's 17. And I, and Beth, I've already started recording, but I'm going to I keep that in. Did. Just you that did it on purpose. I know you did. So it might be 17. Absolutely brilliant. So sure I think it's 17. Seven. <laughs> the, the listeners, luckily, I, will know that it's 17. Um, and and oh God, can I fun. just say... For the for listeners, for those of you who don't know who that other voice is on the podcast, um, that would be CISO of the Year, Becky Pinkett. Oh my um, that god! You've got there. Victoria Baines. I'm going to start calling you Victoria through the whole rest of this podcast if you don't stop it. <laughs> I'm going to feel like a naughty child, and then, quite frankly, that's how I should feel sometimes. Um, no, but I think congratulations are in order. Huge congratulations. And I think it's, well, my hunch is that it's recognising not just your day job, but the um, considerable advocacy that you do um, in relation to particularly making the business of cybersecurity and the representation in cybersecurity more diverse, which I know we will come on to later, given current events. Um, But first, we need to introduce our guest who's being uncharacteristically quiet, I have to say. (laughs) Hello. <laughs> I'm just I'm just enjoying I'm just enjoying the conversation. It's amazing. It's it's professional Stu, radio just quality. Side, this, listen to a couple it? of natters. Is that like your day to day job, by the way? <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe I don't know. Can I say that? <laughs> so, well, listeners, so for those of you Stu. that don't recognise the voice, yes, it's Stu. Hello, I'm Stu. Hello. <laughs> We we are very blessed indeed to have at Cybersex Stu, the very, very amazing founder of the Mini Hats Club, the fantastical keynote speaker, uh, director of cyber strategy, we might add, at Zero Day Labs, official social engineer. Beck, 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 a fantastical keynote speaker. cut me off. Does that mean that does that mean that he's not really a keynote speaker if he's a fantastical keynote speaker? <laughs> How many Japanese beers have you had, Vic? No, 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 no. So there's look, etymology, grammar, etc. I insist oh on it. Oh my god. This right? is why he's this is fan- why we don't have more listeners. <laughs> I know, well, it's true. It's true, but it's important to me, right? If he was a fan he's a fantastic keynote speaker. Absolutely. No disagreement about that. But so if, if he's a fantastical keynote speaker, he delivers talks while sat on a dragon. Oh. I don't even know what's happening right now. <laughs> well, okay. I, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> Stu, it always seems to happen whenever I'm around you. I don't know what Vic's problem is. <laughs> I tell you. I tell you what's happening. I'm writing books about language. I'm writing a book about language and it's getting me down rabbit holes. And so, no, no. And therefore, I can only apologize and I will let you crack on. I've lost my flow now. It's gone. You cut me off. The flow is gone. Look, Stu, mate, I love you. We've had awesome times together. It's been brilliant co things with you previously. We've had a couple of awesome beers in wonderful pubs in the city <laughs> yeah they've been good they're really good actually yeah I've, I've actually really enjoyed um the meetups in london and stuff like that have been really good so yeah yes and we had an amazing podcast okay 
slightly biased, but Vic and I had an amazing podcast that we got to come and, and share with you on the Mini Hats Club. So thank you for returning the favor and coming to our slightly just disjointed, um, <laughs> somewhat slow to roll so far, <laughs> Cyber Warrior Princess podcast. I think this is probably the best intro I've ever had. <laughs> you need to aim higher, mate. I'm just saying. <laughs> Oh, oh, do you know what? The but the thing that Vic and I love, right, is that we started this whole deal and we started it by saying we want to be able to talk out talk about whatever we want to talk about. We don't want to have anybody hanging over us. And by God, if nothing ever shows that we're still hanging on to that, it is this intro. <laughs> <laughs> which which is gonna challenge some of our most dedicated following, I think. But hey ho. <laughs> oh no but you know what here we are and and we're very excited to, to have you on the show we're excited to have the conversation with you we're excited to learn about OSINT and all the amazing things that you're going to teach us so to those listeners that are actually here because you think you're going to learn something yes Stu is going to help you learn something tonight we promise but it is also going to come at um and with the price that you have to pay around listening to the uh I apologize in advance but the banter that comes along with that <laughs> Can I just, I'm going to intervene again, Beck. I'm going to show oh, you a yellow card. Oh, no. Here we go. And it's not It's not even your fault. It's not even your fault. It's in. It's the industry's fault. Um, but for the people who aren't necessarily threat intelligence specialists, we need to break down the acronym OSINT. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Go for it. Let's do do it. Go, Stu. Stands for Open Source Intelligence, um, which means... Anything that is publicly available, publicly searchable, publicly indexed, um, or public information such as public records uh, that can be found, aggregated, used to develop some form of intelligence on something. I'm not reading this from Wikipedia, by the way, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, really uh, good. Or, yeah, uh, uh, on, a, on an individual company, asset, um, you know, domain, whatever it may be. There's, there's millions of applications, actually, I've worked out. So millions is an exaggeration. But there's so many applications of such as geographical searching, finding people, finding resources, finding and validating and verifying information sources. Um, it can be used by a whole range of people, such as journalists, your big kind of usual suspects for, for doing OSINT um, or open source intelligence, uh, right through to recruiters or um, HR people, when they're looking at uh, people that join an organization, looking at social media profiles. So, you know, it's got multiple applications. And I think uh, oh, that's why I love it so that's much. That's a great one. You just totally twigged my mind. So I had never seen this before. It's a great example to me of how more and more, um, I guess, applications are automatically pulling in open source information into the profiles that they build, right? So um, in my last role, um, company unnamed right now, but those of you that that can look me up can easily find it. Um, we did, we did, a, we did a lot of hiring, which was great. We we're meeting a lot of people. Um, it was the first time that I had worked with a SaaS-based tool for hiring, and that tool would go out. Whatever email address was submitted, right, by the uh, applicant, it would go out and it would pull all profiles, all social media profiles related to that email address that it could find, and just suck all of that information back automatically and attach it to the profile. And so the thing that that taught me was A, never ever apply for a job with the email address that you use anywhere else. And, and B, 
For the love of God, if you do, please change your profile picture from yourself, like reclining half nude, you know, on a beach chair in some remote getaway on holiday, because that does not do uh, very well for your first impression of that mm-hmm. recruiter when you're applying for that job. <laughs> oh. That is kind of the first rule, right? Is, um, yeah, I think people, maybe we'll talk about this a bit, but, but, you know, for me, it's, it's people not realizing how exposed their digital footprint is. And yeah. And and this is, sometimes this is a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing, right? If you're trying to find someone and they've done that work to lock down their profile, say someone's gone missing or something like that, and you're trying to help find them and they've locked down their profile, it makes it really difficult to, to, to gain that intelligence. You have to try a lot harder and, you know, to try and find something useful, um, people have open profiles all the time uh, and it's it's almost too much information to process um, mm-hmm. and you know so it's, there's a fine balance right you want to have something which you're comfortable sharing uh, and and defining what you're comfortable sharing online and at the same time you also want to have something that's not too locked down that you know that basically there's no point having a social media profile so yeah. uh, it's isn't it though the thing that I also love about this right is that there's through the connections that you have, a lot of information can almost be gained about you that you've now lost control over because your connections are sharing that information. So I would think of Facebook as a great example, right? Because if you start to connect your yourself, for example, to like your family, your I don't know, cousins or whatever, you know, people you've worked with, people you went to school with, and then they're quite open or quite, I guess, promiscuous with the data that they share then um, an attacker or a profiler can start to really map that information back to yourself and build a profile on yourself. And I've always, again, been fascinated by that approach. Yep. So um, so I'll, I'll talk a bit about that. In fact, I'll talk about that now because then uh, I don't know how long we got for this. You said about half an hour, 45 minutes, and I could probably talk about this for two hours. I did that on Sunday <laughs> for a Women Hackers Conference. Um, but, yeah, the, um, the so I, I've – Love OSINT. I've been doing it for, for many years um, as part of my social engineering kind of background as well. But but more recently, we've no, I'm a Many Hats Club team. Actually, we have an OSINT team now um, for like competitions. And one of the competitions that we do is um, uh, with an organization called Trace Labs. If anyone doesn't know what Trace Labs is, it's a uh, their whole kind of business model is around um, it's a nonprofit, and their their role is to use intelligence specialists or OSINT specialists to help find genuine missing people. So every every month they'll have a a board on a Trello board, and on that Trello board they'll have real cases of people that have gone missing. So this could be young people, this could be older people, it's a whole range of backgrounds, and they're all over the world. It's not just like America or the UK or Europe; it's all over the world. Um, and you know, you submit information, and that will go to law enforcement agencies, and hopefully they help find these these people um, quite quickly. And and every so often they'll have um, what they call global um, CTF. They've only had four of them. Um, so a CTF also stands for capture the flag. So it's a competition where you have to find data points or information on those real missing people. So you're given like 12 cases of people that have gone missing and it's a competition who can find the most data, the most useful information. So, you know, finding someone's social media profile will give you like, you know, 25 points. If you find someone's um, passwords or information about them on the dark web, that's worth a thousand points. If you find their actual location, it's worth like, I know, um, like 5,000 points, right? There's only been one ever 5,000 points, the actual location where they are right now, they can be found. Oh. Uh, we actually had one where we were 99.9% sure we actually found someone and they just couldn't quite get the angle of the photo. So they, they just they just claimed it. And they said, we'll take the intelligence, but we can't give you the 5,000 points, but we'll give you 1,000 basically for it. Uh, but we've won that competition 
three times back to back um and we actually came second so technically we won it four times because if you come in first second or third you're technically a winner out of 250 teams so we've won that like four times technically technically uh, speaking yeah yeah but we'll go for three right um <laughs> just, just fair right um and and you know so it's made, created a lot of noise recently because you know we it's helping find genuine missing people so we that's what we like doing it it's not about the the winning the competition we just generally want to help although it helps you know no that's so, fascinating so i hadn't actually heard of this where they were working on real cases i'm i'm sorry yeah. but obviously not my field of expertise but what's it called again uh, trace labs Trace Labs, okay. And so, yeah. Stu, so can I, um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in because you know, Stu, I've worked both sides of this, right? So I've worked yeah. the law enforcement track, tracker, tracker sex offender kind of aspects of it, and I've also worked the Facebook protecting people's data, etc. So just to clarify, are we talking about missing people who are vulnerable, or are we talking about suspects and fugitives from justice? Or about oh, no, 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 uh, no, not not fugitives from justice. These are these would be vulnerable missing people. So these or or or, or, or family members that have gone missing. So we're not talking about um gotcha. fugitives or criminals or things like that, because that would interfere with actual genuine police cases. These are these are uh, missing people that are uh, there have been cases where people have got criminal records and stuff, mm-hmm. but it's not that's not what they've gone missing. It's family members. That's not the that's them. not so, the focus of it. Because I think it's kind of no. yeah, I think it is important to stress for listeners, isn't it, that um it, that what the other kind of work that we've described where people do look to identify and, and locate suspects, and particularly when we kind of veer into the like, for instance, the anti-sex offender vigilante space, like exactly as you've drawn attention to, that can be quite problematic, particularly where there are ongoing law enforcement investigations. But I do yeah. think, you know, the, the the point that you started on is is really, really important and that, Beck, you were talking about with um, human resources. Because when I was working at Facebook, um, you know, one of the things that child protection organisations were getting quite concerned about and, and had legitimate concerns about was, OK, so young people are sharing images of themselves and posts that make them look a bit foolish, perhaps oversharing, arguably. And then they were applying for their first jobs and not realising that that photo of them when they were 15 you know, drunk in a park was was visible to the person that they were hoping to get an internship with. And so we were then asked to build in um, tools where someone could review what was called their activity log and review stuff that they posted, change the privacy settings, remove things that perhaps they didn't want to have on their, you know, publicly on their Facebook profile in perpetuity. Um, but equally... I also know from the law enforcement aspect that sometimes it is that it's that moment of vulnerability. You know, someone can be VPNed up to the hilt, can be using anonymizers, can be on tour hidden services, but they happen to use that one phone number on a social media profile that, you know, I don't know, or in a moment of madness, they post something and it's public for the first time because they've forgotten themselves or they've had too much to drink. And it's that one piece of information sometimes that is what gets you the opportunity to crack the case. So, I mean, for me, OSINT is absolutely fascinating. It's an essential part of the work that law enforcement does. But Stu, to throw back to you, your your definition of OSINT I thought was really clear and really precise, but I wondered, have you come up against different 
perhaps more challenging definitions of what exactly is open source? Yeah, it's there's so much information, right? And uh, for for me, the uh, there's a fine line between. So, so I, I have this. There's like a there's like rules of engagement that um that that we talk about, right? So when we do any open source intelligence investigation, whether we're doing it as a community or whether we're doing it um, professionally, right? There, there's kind of rules that you can't you you shouldn't break, and these are kind of like unwritten rules but they should be written rules right so like you say no direct interaction with your target right mm-hmm. so uh, uh, or the person you're investigating or the company you're investigating because if you have if you breach those then you're it's, it's not you're poisoning the data and if you're doing an investigation to say you're supporting something that maybe you want to raise to law enforcement if you have any contact or breaching accounts of course you should never do that because that's illegal and don't do that please people listening to this um no liking or commenting or sharing posts or you want, you want to be like a ghost or an observer really right yeah and if you interact with that target you you could be tampering with evidence and then it's all about confidentiality and then it's also about um we talk about speculation as well um so you only deal with the evidence and the facts. Don't I think you talked about this earlier when, before the the podcast was live? It's like it's it's not it's about you know, you're only dealing with causality. You're not dealing with speculation, right? You can only deal and draw conclusions from the data, not from what you think is happening. The data. So if if you're trying to say, oh, this person was, we think this person was here, mm-hmm. well, that's that's a speculation. No, no, this person was here because look, I can prove that they were there. For this, these data points prove that that person was there. Um, for me, things like CCTV is quite interesting, um, and you know, there's lots of open CCTV. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking about people sticking their webcams on Shodan, by the way, and stuff like this. I'm talking about the open CCTV that's out there that you can use to to actually uh, for doing like tracking and, and, and location tracking and things like this. Um, and there's also other data points which are slightly more challenging, which is like the the, the kind of geographical OSINT um, or GeoInt, as it's known as. Um, uh, where you're kind of looking at um, location data and looking at where someone might be based or someone, you know, looking at images to try and work out where they are and try and plan their routes and try and look at that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff's quite interesting. Um, but, yeah, when you start talking about open source, um, yeah, it, it's it's a very it's a very broad subject, but it's very nature. What, you know, is the dark web considered open source? You know, is it really if you have to log into a site and you have to, um, you know, you have to then look at the web. data. Steep web, right? At that point, or dark web, you know, and and then you know, it, it, you're not really, yeah, it, it's not really open at that point, right? You're then moving into more the human intelligence side of things, right? That's and, it. Yeah. Uh, and so I think for me, um, if you don't have to log into a site, um, the second you log into a site, you're leaving an evidence of footprint that you were there. Um, and then therefore it's no longer open source. So as long as you don't have to log into something and you can publicly view it uh, without being logged into something, then, or you're logged into a sock puppet account or something like that, for example, where like Facebook, where you have to have an account, okay? But it doesn't have to be your real account. Um, yeah. That's okay. And that's fine because you're not you're not tampering with any evidence at that point. You're just observing what's already out there. Um, the second you, you have to log into something to do it you know, outside of social media, for example, then I think you're no longer in open source land. And that's, um, I'd say that's quite consistent with certainly when I was operating in the law enforcement environment, say 10 years ago, um, the distinction was it, it's open if you can access it without a password or without yeah. logging in to something broadly speaking. But also your distinction between, you know, what is you can 
evidence definitively and what is more speculative or perhaps as as we would have said in law enforcement indicative um it, it is really important as well right so i i see this all the time on tv people will say so and so called so and so well yeah you might say that but when i was doing communications analysis i used to have to put on a chart this phone called that phone you don't know who made um, the phone call, right? And we've done a subscribers on the phone. The phone belongs to this person. That is the subscriber. But yeah, whose hand it was in at that particular time is a different matter. And then, and that applies, of course, to you know MAC addresses on devices and IP addresses as well. That IP was in touch with that IP. <laughs> That's all we can say. We got try having, by that, other try having that conversation. Try having that conversation with a twelve-year-old. So I recently had to have this chat with my son. He was like, "Yeah, look what my friend sent me. Did your friend send you that?" He was like, "Well, yeah, I know he sent it to me. It's his account. Look, here's his name." I was like, "But did he type it?" <laughs> right. But it's like you could just see his eyes. He was like, "Oh." Oh, yeah. oh, this so is what you do. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, 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 I had to convince him. I was like, someone else could have picked up his phone. I was like, what if one of his parents wrote that to you? And they just want to see if you're going to write something back and then you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> right. And he was yeah. like, oh, what? Would they do that? And I was like, no, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but the could. threat, I was going to say, right. the threat is a salutary reminder for personal safety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Um, do you know what else I love about this topic, though, is where you have people that are supposedly like super gurus at maintaining their OPSEC at all times, right? But then um, they have that that slip up. So they have the the, the tiny detail um, that leads to perhaps a, a trail of details. And um, it the, the whole topic made me remember. So um, there was an article Graham clearly had just shared a couple of weeks ago about the um, OPSEC fail for, um, what's his name, Vanda? Vanda, Vanda the God, I think it was. Uh, right. I'm going to try and find it now. I think it was Vanda the God. Yeah, but basically, so, um, and, and, and it was a, a well-known hacker, um, you know, attacker, whatever, and um, had done lots of defacement, you know, lots of bad things, basically breaking into different websites and, and companies and things. But over time, because he loved to boast about what he'd done, and um, I guess quite stupidly, he would share screenshots of activity. Yeah. And so over time, he got quite careless and he um, had shared multiples of screenshots that people were obviously playing, uh, paying quite close attention to. And they started to see like, oh, look, there's his you know, Facebook tab open in the background or there's his I'm trying. I think Facebook was one of the tabs. I can't remember now what the other one was, but there was something else that had been open in the background. And basically, yeah, they could piece together over time all of these little bits of data and then they were able to try and track that back to, oh, look, here's a, a domain that was registered. Oh, look, the domain on that matches this, which matches that. And I love that that whole idea of putting the puzzle together with all of these teeny tiny little pieces of data. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. So so there's there's many of these case studies around. And I, I wrote a series of articles on OPSEC, actually. Um, uh, I can share them with the podcast if you want. Oh, yes, please. They're, they're pretty good. I, I did them for Tripwire. Um uh, the, uh, the trip route blog uh, was it state of security it's been like a th- yeah, two, yeah. two year journey of writing these three articles on it um, they're, they're pretty good actually um, <clears throat> if I say so myself they are good uh, I've read them they're brilliant 
yeah yeah it's it's a good starter right into this kind of domain for people because i wanted to make it accessible because you know it's not just about the, the way i say it, it's not for every, it's, it is for everyone you know you should have a degree of understanding around um you know what your threat model is right and in terms of okay what what are you happy being public and what are you not happy being public and actually that starting point is is pretty good so if you're running a, a legal operation your your kind of threshold for what should be public is a lot a lot lower right um to to someone who is just a, no, a normal person who um has a facebook profile does a you know non-tech job and stuff like this and is not particularly worried about um and and, and not worried about that kind of threat um so my my headphones I just told my battery's going low that's always good halfway through a podcast hang on um <laughs> talk quicker it when yeah it just you charge it hasn't charged. There you go. There you go. it's telling me they're charging now that's great when your headphones remind you that it's about to run out of battery um you sound clearer yeah. already yeah. <laughs> it's amazing right uh okay so uh yeah and so the, the key thing is that you know like it's a small bits of information that you absolutely right like said that you can piece together um and it's just understanding where that breadcrumb trail leads and it's like people the, the things that we see on, on, a, on a regular basis and the kind of gold mines for, for us because we have like people come into our discord and um on the many hats club and they'll they'll start talking about stuff and we have um some stuff which we've reported to law enforcement and stuff like this about people boasting about hacks um and, st- and i can't talk about any of these but but they've boasted about hacks and they've been a little bit arrogant and you've kind of gone okay and then you just kind of let they join the voice channel, they start talking, and you just kind of just literally just get all the information out of them. And and before you know it, you've got their like almost their home address and everything, right? And and then you're like, mm, yeah, you've actually boasted about doing this. This is quite this is quite significant. You really shouldn't do that. And uh, and then you have to kind of report them because it's, it's the they, they've they've committed a crime. Um, and and then you look at the um the things that we see, and the one things we always see, and it's it's quite common for me really, is that. Um, people like to reuse handles, right? Yeah. So they have a hacking tag, right? And they have like a, a handle they like. And people like to reuse that so they know that this is me, right? No one's gonna no one's gonna copy me or, or copycat me in this particular scenario. And they'll reuse them. And the, the things that they, they also do is they're gaming tags, right? So if they've got a Steam account, the Steam account for me is a gold mine of information. In fact, it's probably the most valuable source. Um, I actually found out the other day um, there's actually an uh, internet archive for Steam. Um, a whole dedicated subsection of the Internet Archive for Steam. It's amazing. Oh, right? that's cool. Uh, oh, I had no yeah, idea about that. Wow. No, I, I only found about this like literally about a week and a half ago. One of my friends was telling me about it. I was on the Internet, this version of the Internet Archive for Steam. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, how do I not know this? Mm. It's like, it's not that well known, right? And I was like, and so you just go through and actually like, we, we we had this target that we're looking at and literally he had like his steam was quite locked down but you go back like six months it had like his home address and all this kind of stuff like all that information about stuff he'd posted in chats and like bits about his like ip address was visible and all this kind of stuff and then actually you could work out which university he reused certain handles and profile pictures match you reverse image the profile picture and you can find out okay he goes to this university and he does this and oh my god look at all this other information you suddenly find and it's just like those small bits of information because um, people are slightly more open on steam than they might be on like twitter or facebook or something like that because they're playing games right um so yeah i think yeah if you know the sort of p- patterns of l- patterns that people have um you can very quickly identify those data points um that that are, are going to be um are going to be used against them or against you if you've got an overtly open social media profile and you've left your fo- friends searchable 
on Facebook, for example, yeah. then then it just only takes about like 10 minutes to map out your whole friends and family on a Multigo session. And now I know, uh, okay, so these are where your friends and family live. This is your social circles. This is the this is the gym that you go to. This is the, you know, this is the pub that you regularly go to, or you like all these things. And and I'm doing an active investigation into an exec at the moment, and that's what we've done. I couldn't find their Twitter profile. They have one. I know they have one. And then I looked at their Facebook profile, and they have these are all the things that they like. And I just went, oh, I wonder if there's all. I need to. That's a data point. So I looked at the school, and then I went, okay, so that might be something that they they like. And then these local businesses, and all of a sudden, I found that on the three or four Twitter profiles without a profile picture, picked out the one, I went, oh, that's them, because these are the companies that follow them and they like, and it's the same. You match it up. So there are so many data points that you can map to actually validate all this stuff, and I think people don't realise that. Unless they absolutely you, don't realize that. Yeah. People have no idea of how easy it is to start to pick up those breadcrumbs and put that picture together. Um, could I just ask you, Stu, because um, I, I know what Multigo is, but um, in case a lot of our listeners may not know what it is, would you mind explaining it and, and what I guess it's used for? Because it is so helpful in this particular type of job. Yeah, so Multigo is a again is a it's a commercial tool, but as a as a community edition, which most people use. Um, I don't know many people that pay for it. Um, but yeah, <laughs> there's a there's a community edition, which is brilliant and it's, it's it's great, and you can use it on Windows, you can use it on Linux or Mac or wherever it may be. Um, and it's a it's a data visualization tool. is the best way to explain it. So um, most people will, will use what they call transforms, and these are um, uh, scripts that run that basically can map data out against a specific target. So you have an email address and it will go and scrape out loads of data points to find out where that email address might be used. Um, to be honest, I don't use it for that. I use it to, as a data visualization tool to create connections between data data points. So I have a target and I'll map, um, visually map out those connections and links, so email addresses and what accounts as email addresses hang out. It's a visual representation of my investigation. So when I present that back to somebody, I'll say, okay, this is how that... Uh, um, information actually resides. It's a great way to kind of visualize your investigation that you're doing. It could be used for multiple things. It could be used to, as an org chart, for example. It could be used for, for whole things. But generally, it's used for investigations and things like this. Yeah, mapping the data points. Um, the other question I just, and sorry for peppering you with questions real quick, but as you were sort of talking through like the types of activities that you would do, do you find that there's a certain personality type that either fits really well or is normally attracted to this type of work? Um, because that, that really intrigues me, again, based upon my last job, right? Um, I certainly saw, I would say, certain personality types. And, and in my limited experience, <clears throat> excuse me, in that role <clears throat> and with this type of work today, I would say it's it's people that um, are, are highly inquisitive. I think mm. it's people that are detail-oriented. Um, I think it's people that like to solve puzzles, obviously, as we're talking yeah. about, you know. And I think it's people that... Um, have i guess a, a certain amount of patience as well so i'm just intrigued if sort of above and beyond my you know very high level sketchy understanding of that personality type if there's anything else that you would add to that yeah analytical people i think detail oriented analytical people definitely uh, although um people say i'm analytical but sometimes i'm not um I, i'm a visual person so i actually um i kind of <laughs> The way I look at it, and the people I've seen, there's different types of people do OSINT slightly differently. So, uh, an investigation slightly differently. So, if you look at my kind of team of people I work with, one works in like aviation, one's um, spooky kind of uh, 
uh, all source all source intelligence type. Another one's a student who does lots of ethical hacking. But all four of us have a completely different way of approaching an investigation that's very complementary. So one of us is very analytical. One of us has got a, a photographic memory. I'm very visual, um, and I kind of see and and kind of almost see into what the person's doing, and then make those connections of what they might do next based on what, what information has been presented to me. Um, and try and kind of visualize those connections and and someone else might just write a script and do it that way um i think everyone has a different kind of mindset but you're absolutely right that the kind of the kind of core personality types of patience and 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 being able to process data and analyze data um are absolutely fu- fundamental because if you can't analyze the information you have you can't then make those next connections so if you just see the data and you don't see that okay well you can't make the connection between point A, point B, point C and D, and then actually all the points in between that, what might hang off those points, um, then you're going to miss a lot and you're not going to make those. You're not going to make those um, those sometimes non-logical, non-linear connections that you need to make. Oh, sorry, that's so, my tumble dryer finishing. <laughs> nice, nice clean clothes for Beck's family. Um, so, so, Stu, I mean, I'm mindful that you have – made a very good case for OSINT, right, in your description of, of, of what you do. And we perhaps need to bear in mind that there might be listeners who think, oh, this is an incredibly exciting thing to do. And I have to be honest, my mom is one of these people who, you know, the more I tell her about cybersecurity and about um, OSINT, the more she wants to get involved and do it herself. And I, and I have to then say to her, okay, so mom, Put the phone down and we need to have a talk about OPSEC. So for the the people that are minded to start digging around and doing a bit of OSINT, either informally or formally assisting the authorities, what do they need to know to protect themselves? Yeah, so so OPSEC is is absolutely fundamental. In fact, before we even go into OPSEC, there's something I'd like to raise as well. Um, There there is a rule that I didn't mention, which is probably the, 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 the most important rule. Um, out of all of this and it, it is the the question you have to ask yourself before you even think about venturing into any kind of investigation that rule is is it safe um, and when I talk about is it safe I, I'm talking about is it are you mentally prepared are you mentally in the right place to be able to do an investigation and there's a really good article that I read the other day um, by a guy called Dutch OSINT guy who's part of the OSINT Curious um, podcast uh, and community um, which is all, and he's ex, uh, he's an excellent enforcement investigator as well. Um, talking about the, you know, the the impacts of um, some of the things you might see and uncover uh, when you're doing an investigation. So obviously there's a darker side to this, which I won't go into too much detail. But but there is a risk, right? That when you're when you're kind of as I call dumpster diving on the internet, you might find something that's a bit unsavoury, and you've got to be prepared for that. Mm. Um, and you might not, and you might not knowingly uncover something like that as well so there's you know there's this is the risk of doing it so you have to kind of say is it safe i'm mentally safe and is it are you physically safe and this is, comes back to the offset question if you're investigating an unsavory character for example and you somehow leave your digital footprint with your actual ip address on it that person could technically find out where you live if you haven't taken the right precautions and things yeah. like this so so opsec is is 100 the most important part but 
equally with that is are you mentally prepared and have you taken the right precautions because there is a there is a safety element to this i'm not trying to scare people but there is a that's a reality and you know this as well right so no i started to say it was fascinating again to me um because in again in my last role one of the things that we did at that um, organization that i'd never done before um is we buddied people up and Mm -hmm. so where people were looking at the dark web in particular and 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 again potentially coming across you know sort of unsavory information or information that was um you know not the typical thing that you would expect to stumble across in your your nine to five day job um we were partnering people up with buddies so that they would have someone to to sort of bounce things off of and talk to and then also there was an actual hr sort of written process around you know look if you um have a concern or if you need help you know this is the the steps that you can take to do that and then on top of that we also had a process around if you come across something that is criminal in nature you know here's the process for ensuring that we report that that we get it to the right individuals and that um you know we we don't accidentally become i guess sort of part of the problem so to speak Mm -hmm. so yeah again i was fascinated by that because despite being in security um by that point in time for i don't know 20 years um it it, it was not something i had come up against previously so So, yeah and in my part of law enforcement certainly at national level we had compulsory counseling no one was allowed to get out of it every six months you had to go and speak to the on-site psychologist I mean, okay, so it was, you know, it was the child exploitation side of things. And so it was, you know, it wasn't just a, a hazard of, of the job. It was the core of the job. Um, but certainly there was a, a, a very clear recognition of what I, what I like to call the corrosive aspect of the work. You know, uh-huh. it's, it's not always that the second that you look at some types of material that you feel a shock you know, it's more that you take it home with you and you might wake up at four o'clock in the morning with it, thinking about it. And, and yeah. that, that personal... Well, every day after day, isn't it? it yeah. It, it, it's literally day after day after day. So I think it's an accumulation of that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, and, and this is this is the um, this is the downside of of doing it open source, right? So, if you're, I mean, I'm, I'm paid to do investigations and I, I and luckily and, and, and touch wood, um, during my um, investigations into organizations or, or into incidents or to other things, I haven't come across too many unsavory things. Um, I have obviously in other types of investigations that I've done, I've had to report that stuff. Um, but, but like I said, there's always an air of caution when we talk about these things, because, you know, if you start venturing into this, um, uh, you know, going, going into this with not the right mindset, then there, there could be some, you know, could be some damage that's done um if you if you if you're not mentally prepared and the opsec piece because i haven't answered that question yet which is that this is a military term for operation security and this is essentially about denying the adversary um information about a operation so a military term uh taking it into the real world process of what you know you should be thinking about is protecting yourself and protecting an uh, adversary knowing information about you as an individual knowing information about you uh, and your systems and so things that you would need to do if you want to start an investigation if you even into yourself really as well and that's where i'd recommend people start if you want to start doing open source intelligence the best place to start is to look at yourself and really look at yourself online what is actually out there because i will i will be you'll be very surprised about the amount of information that's out there 
that has been reshared or um, sites have indexed or random sites have scraped and suddenly you end up in all random places on the internet. And I right. did a whole talk on this, um, uh, looking into yourself and stuff like this and just, just the amount of stuff that you have to, to kind of process to know your vulnerability. But, but when you're undertaking any form of open source intelligence, the first thing you need is a decent VPN. Um, I, I personally recommend... Uh, a whole range of VPNs. I'm not going to start recommending them on this on this podcast. But if you want to look at a, a VPN, make sure that they're um, it's not free because free VPNs they're going to be selling your data. There's a whole blog post on this that mm-hmm. um, there are like three or four marketing companies that own like hundreds of free VPN services and they're all using it to kind of basically scrape your data and the data you're looking at. Um, so look at a VPN that's um, not free, a VPN that's um, that has a no logging policy and things like this, or a non-marketing policy. Um, and, you know, uh, there are probably about three VPNs or four VPNs that can do that. Can I talk about them or not? Or no? Oh, I mean, no, it doesn't matter. Yeah, Whatever I don't, is we don't mind, in, do we? You know, based on your experience, we're not taking okay, so, 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 revenue. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just making sure that this is not, I'm not trying yeah, to promote thank you. adversity. Yeah, we're happy question. for advertising so, revenue. So, so, so one, of, one, of the, <laughs> one of the VPNs I recommend is a, a VPN called Mulvad. Um, Mulvad uh, is a, a Swedish VPN company, and they have multiple uh uh, things for protecting privacy. One is that you don't sign up; you just get given a random ID, and then off that you're able you pay against that ID. So it generates you a random string, and that's your that's your account basically. And then you can pay by cash in the post, or you can pay uh, by PayPal or credit card if you really want to, or Bitcoin or something like that. So it's good for if you want to really lock down your privacy. And if you just if, and it is five pounds a month or something like that, it's not very much. The uh, Proton VPN is pretty good. Um, it's, it's a pretty good one. Uh, and there's another one called Windscribe as well, um, which is which is also quite good um, and has a lot of, it has a free version, but it's, it only has a few options. The, the paid version is pretty decent. They're probably the three I'd recommend. Um, I, I, w- I wouldn't really recommend NordVPN or anything like that because it's, um, they've had some issues in the past um, around privacy and stuff like that. So um, yeah, they're, they're pretty good. Um, and then if you've got a VPN, uh, then you want to think about creating um Based that no touch rule, you want to think about uh, the type of accounts and maybe creating a you know a, a, a sock. So a sock being a fake or pseudonym account for like a Facebook and a Twitter and a Instagram and stuff like this. So you're not having that identity linked back to you. Um, and that's only if you're really taking a serious investigation. Um, if you're going into investigation and stuff like this, you want to have those accounts um, ready just to do that. So- oh, Stu, Stu, the fake accounts. The fake accounts, they were the, the bane of my life when I was working at Facebook. <laughs> you have, I have. You, how I have? No, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I have, I have a lot. Um, the, I, my longest is, one is seven years. The thing is, you will have created really good legends. That's the thing. Yeah. And, but yeah. I came up against, and I'm not going to name names, but the number of law enforcement agencies and bear in mind, I worked in lots of different countries, so you can't even tell me. Uh, you won't even be able to guess which countries. But seriously, the number of people that would come to me and say, you've closed down our fake Facebook accounts. And I would say, right, so here's the thing. I've looked at these accounts, and it would appear you're all coming from the same IP address. And that IP address is identifiable as National well, Police Headquarters. <laughs> Um, and there was one guy, and I will never forget this. There was one guy, uh, again, I'm not going to name even which country, who said to me, how dare you shut down my fake Facebook account? I was communicating with a murder witness through it. 
Oh God, oh, God really? Yes. Oh. So, um, and I was really pleased to see, Stu, that you know you you set this out really, really clearly about the code of conduct in relation to OSINT, defining what it is, defining operating procedures, because it's not so much that there are loads of bad people out there doing OSINT. It's more that we're only 20 years into this stuff, really. And to some extent, there isn't general international consensus about what's okay to do in these spaces to track people. The thing is, though, right, and I think this is this is to your point, actually, uh, Vicky. This is this is the thing for me that that you know there are loads of good people out there doing lots of great great OSINT work, and there's a there's a really good OSINT community, and everyone has their own take on it. But I think the key thing is most people who who do it understand that you know you you shouldn't be touching targets, you shouldn't be interacting with targets, and it, and it is you are an observer. That's all you are. They're there to gather yeah. information, intelligence. Um, as any form of intelligence should be, it should be no touch. Unless you're doing human intelligence, then of course that's very different. Um, but but open source or any form of kind of cyber intelligence should really be no touch. You shouldn't be tampering with evidence. Like forensics, it's like the second you, um, although although open source intelligence is very difficult, it's very difficult, I would say, to be admissible in court. Um, if you do a good investigation and you can prove the data and you can prove the the, the, the timestamps and you haven't tampered with that and you've collected the data appropriately, then it should be, right? Um, uh, but, but yeah, at forensics, you don't want to tamper with the evidence. You want to leave no trace and you want to capture it in this original format as much as you can. Um, and I am going to shout out another tool because I'm going to say this. This is this is the only tool that I would ever use for for case management and investigations, um, for 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 any kind of work that I do. Is it's a tool called Hunchly. Um, it's 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 brilliant. And um, uh, big shout out to Justin Size who actually created that. It's, it's a great tool, and uh, it's it's just scrapes everything. So you have your own offline metadata framework of all the websites you scraped and it scrapes it and in its original format as you're investigating so you don't need to worry about doing screenshots and stuff like this and it will take all the exif data and all that kind of stuff and and it's all built onto your machine so you can then look at it later and go well did i miss something oh i missed this telephone number that's good right i'll get that later um and i'll i'll see where else i saw that so you can actually almost um search the data you've already scraped to see if you miss something or it will highlight stuff that you keywords that you think are quite important and that's valuable how was that spelled to do that one hunchly so hunch mm. and then dot ly yeah so so Stuart, certainly i think um some of the disinformation folks that are tra- tracking influence operations like the stanford internet observatory and other folks like that they've yeah. been finding hunchly really useful as well um, but I have a, a final question for you because I'm conscious that we should probably wrap this one up. But um, thinking about the, the work that you've done on OSINT, what would you say is the best result that you've had? And, and I appreciate you're not going to be able to go into details, but in general terms. Um, yeah, so, so okay, the, I can't talk about specific cases, um, but, but for me, the, the, I can talk about around certain cases so we, we we get approached quite a lot for to help find like i think missing people or there was an instance where um we had to we had to do not a no touch it wasn't a touch rule but we had we there was a suspected that someone had posted on a discord channel somewhere that got pushed to us to say we think this person might be considering doing something dangerous at a school in america mm. um 
and we were like, okay, this does look like that. And there was all the kind of hints there. So we actually, um, we actually looked at their discord ID. We got lots of information about them. We actually managed to find out who they were, uh, where they lived. Um, and we were able to, and, and through connections that I had with, um, just ironically, another law enforcement discord server, um, that's a forensics one that had loads of like, um, current law enforcement people across the world, like literally every country. It was amazing. Um, and I just reached out to the owner of the server because I knew him and said, look, this is what's happened. Who's the best people to speak to in this particular city? And he went, call up this hotline here and mention this person's name and mention that I sent you because I actually do some work with them. And so we got taken seriously straight away. And um, from what we can tell, because they couldn't feed back to us, it was an active case. But I emailed them saying, did it get dealt with? Are we Was the intelligence we provided useful? They said, yeah, that's, that was very useful. That's what they said. They said I couldn't oh, say anything oh, else. Yeah. So, you know, we're not we're not saying we stopped it, but you know, it could have prevented or they could have had a chat to him or they, whatever they could have done. Right. Um, but you know, those, that for me, that's a really kind of good, and it was, a, we, we get things really quickly. So we're talking like from getting the notification this had happened to making the phone call to that law enforcement, uh, unit, um, was less than 35 minutes. Wow. That's fantastic. So, you know, and of course it would have been in the evening. So they were planning to do it the next day. So it would have been like, okay, that they would have been watched or something would have happened. Right. So, um, yeah, that kind of stuff is, you know, that's good. We've had like, uh, I did a talk on Sunday about, um, about a massive case that we had. And, um, I, so I've talked about it, but I can't talk the specifics who the person was, but I was approached by, um, somebody through through work but it was just for a personal thing um about the someone being stalked and if you want to talk about the dangers of stalking and cyber stalking and physical stalking this was like this is massive so we started pulling this apart and going well okay so he was having like his machines being hacked his accounts being hacked it was over in like a dispute or something like that and it went on for like this 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 kind of stalking and and kind of abuse had gone on for years, and he got law enforcement involved, and they couldn't really pin down what was happening. Um, the FBI actually got involved as well, and they could they could see what was happening, but they couldn't prove it. Right, this is the case that you made earlier on. They have to be able to prove that this was happening, and so we did an investigation. We pulled it apart, and we just looked at all the evidence. We looked at all the um, and he had like hunting cameras outside his house. So you could see people drive into this part like basically down his driveway and sit outside his house for ages mm. and stuff like this. Um, so it's like the physical side and people turn randomly turning up outside his, um, uh, like he'd be doing his certain things for his work and people would be turning up and they would just be filming him. Um, it, really weird stuff. Right. And we thought a cult was involved because actually in his local city, there was a cult and we thought, ah, oh, it's a cult. Definitely going to be, and we started investigating. He'd done some work for them as well. So we're like, oh, it must be that. And, and then it wasn't. Uh, and then we looked at all other areas and he'd hired a private investigator and the private investigator then turned evidence against him. And we're like, well, what's going on here? So we got to a point where we did four months of investigation, right? Four months, just in our own times. Our Maltigo is uh, an A1, right? right? If you break my Maltigo <laughs> session down, it's an A1. It's amazing. I, I wanted to print it out and stick it I on was, my back. I was going to say, well, I used to have a plotter for that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You kind of need it. We're like, literally it's like so big like and we called it too big right it was too big um, <laughs> um and, and and we just started like going we're basically mapping out entire streets we're mapping out all this is there actually anything here and we got to the conclusion that it's too big and we, we can't prove any of it and um we had to go back to him and say here's loads of data but we're, we're not comfortable sharing it with you because it's it's too much information we can't share what we found because 
you shouldn't have access to this. We shouldn't have access to Western Face at this mm. point, right? So we turned around and said, we're just going to delete the whole case. We'll tell you the highlights of what we found in a, in a, in a document, the kind of things you might want to consider. Um, you know, we, we highly suspect your machine has been hacked. That's that's true. But we can't prove whether that's just an unrelated, um, as as per the FBI did, it could be completely unrelated and these you're drawing conclusions that may not be there. And that was the big concern, his mental health. And so we had to kind of, we had to kind of go through this whole process, and it was it was unbelievable. But I will say, um, we still made we still did a good thing. Um, but sometimes you don't you don't walk away with the with the smoking gun, as they say, right? Sometimes there isn't a smoking gun. Sometimes you actually then start believing things and you question. So we have this bit where we question each other. We go, we sit down in a session together, and we go, right, I'm going to say this. And you then need to tell me why you think I am right or wrong. Uh, and then they go, no, you're right. We think it's this. Okay. And then we just try and challenge each other to make sure that we're not all kind of yeah. drinking our own Kool-Aid, I think. Oh, I have a great question for you on that. And then we can finish up. I think it's going to lead great to a finish for us. So when you guys have that question session, do you look to bring any type of diversity into that session? Oh, <laughs> um, uh no because <laughs> it's sensitive information I, we would love to yeah of course yeah. um well and um, i mean obviously the reason i'm asking this because it, it's always forefront of my mind especially here lately but but one of the things i've been super intrigued by over the last few years in particular is i've been learning more about diversity and inclusion in the workplace is you get that type of um think tank process when you bring in more people with different experiences perspectives and yeah yeah I, I fully agree. So, so if 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 I give you an example of that, Becky, because I know the, the the key thing here is in this particular in this particular case, it's just four people, right? Um, uh, and it was a very locked down case, right? In other investigations that we do as a community, I'm not talking about personally, I'm talking about community investigations. It is generally quite diverse. We'll bring a whole bunch of people in from different experiences and backgrounds, and it might be ten people doing it, and from all backgrounds. Um, so, yeah, in that case, we would. In this particular case, we couldn't because it was a um, incredibly sensitive and and kind of, I, I guess, hard to introduce new people because if you don't know them very well or trust them entirely, it's hard to bring them in. If that makes sense, because the information you, you don't know, right, in a Discord environment. However, I will say, and I do agree that having as a diverse um, opinion and diverse background will lead and yield different and interesting results. Um, if you've got four people who think very similarly from similar backgrounds, you're not going to think about, well, what have you thought about this? Because I experienced this when I was living here or wherever it may be. Yeah. Well, you all end up sort of chasing the same tail, don't you? That ends yeah. Up, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, 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 I do. I do yeah. <laughs> you, you end up going down the same paths. Um, so uh, again, I'm like Vic. I'm conscious of time, and in our poor, run, you know, we have some runners, and we're pretty sure that they use us to map out, you know, thirty to forty minute runs. So apologies to those folks. Yeah, um, but congratulations. But ben, this is a this part. is a nice this is a nice ten k for some people. So I feel like we've kind of pushed some <laughs> of their boundaries. <laughs> exactly. Um, but but what I was going to say, if you don't mind, just quickly off the back of that comment is. Um, and I'm quite keen to say it right now as well, is um, in, in light of everything that's been happening um, globally with regards to, um, you know, the, the activity around Black Lives Matter, um, the activity as it relates to uh, to Mr. Floyd and, and his, um, you know, unfortunate passing, 
um, I, I want to just uh, let all of our, our listeners know, you know, that, um, and we talked about this before the recording. So, so Vic, Stu, and I, um, the three of us, indeed, for sure, all certainly stand for Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, we see you and we support you and we're here for you. Um, and then on top of that, I encourage anyone that is in our industry and anyone indeed that's listening to this or who wants to share this with someone else, encourage other people to do the same, right? Um, what we really need to do right now is to support um, the people of color that we work with and to support the black and ethnic minorities that we work with, um, especially as they've been through this their whole life. You know, this has been something that they've dealt with and and they live with and they wake up with on a day-to-day basis. And it's and it's a great time now for us to support them and to show that we do see them through this time. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to be sure and, and get that in there. Thank you both for... Um, could I could I add to that as well? Yeah, go for it. Um, so so I, I I do I do feel this is a this is a, a this is a great time as, as I agree it's a great time to talk about this and I think it it kind of highlights that you know I think in our even in the the kind of the niche what I call the niche infosec community this is an issue um, and so I was talking at um, Women Hackers at the weekend and they, obviously they were supporting Black Lives Black Lives Matter and they were supporting lots of other initiatives as well and I think it, it is it's important that you know if you're a community leader or if you're a um even if you're not a community leader you know you're you're someone who has a, everyone has a voice right and we should we should be using those voices to to champion those people that don't have those voices currently um and i think that I, i'm i'm very strong behind that i want to lift people on my shoulders and say hey this is this is an important cause and we should we should be supporting it right and what's happening in not just in America, all over the world at the moment, is is obviously a sign of that. So you know, if you can if you can show your voice and you can get behind the cause, I think that's vitally important. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Well, I, I think um, I can speak for Vic and I both when we say thank you so much, Stu, for you know coming on the show. And uh, I, I I can only apologize. I know it's been a long time in the making. Um, you know, we've had a few things get in the way. We've had a few challenges, you know, along the way. Uh, but we got yeah. there in the end. That's but what look, matters. It, it's, it's, you know, as Stu pointed out, it did take him almost a year to edit the podcast when we visited him. So I feel like we've not done too badly in in retrospect. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, I think I think hopefully, uh, uh, you know, people have enjoyed listening to my dulcet tones. Yeah, uh, thank you. That's uh, been fantastic. No, it's been absolutely brilliant, Sue. And you've you've given great advice. You've given great insight, and um, probably actually one of the more informative actual podcasts. (laughs) People have actually learned something on this one, Beck. I'm a little bit (laughs) taken aback. Uh, yeah, no, thank you so much, Stu. As always, it's an absolute pleasure chatting with you, mate. And I look forward to the next time we can actually get together properly and, and, and have a drink and have a proper catch up. Mm? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, hopefully it won't be too long. Um, but you, you never know, do you? Um, you, never, you never know in this uh, this this current current climate that we're in. Um, and also, yeah, like I said, as I said earlier, before the um, before the podcast, you know, I'd love to get you involved in, um, in the 31 days of infosec madness that I'm doing. Oh, nice plug. Nicely done. We're there. (laughs) We're there for you, man. We're there. Let's take it offline. We're going to hook you up with some awesome people. Vic and I are awesome. We're there too. (laughs) I I definitely uh, am. I think think you are too. Um, Thank you, mate. That was very much appreciated. And um, thank you, listeners.